Hello and welcome to the first episode of the IMDb Top 250 Podcast. Alright, alright. We're on movie number one. We have 250 to go. Oh boy. This is gonna take a while. So, the first episode is The Shawshank Redemption, a movie directed by Frank Darabont in 1994, the year of many great movies, uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, Lion King, Time Cop also came out that year. A lot of uh, classics, as they say. Originally, the title was supposed to be Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption. Rita? Rita Hayworth is um, the movie star from the 40s who has a brief appearance in the movie, not in human form, but in poster form. The movie takes place in Maine, but do you know where it was filmed? Oh, by the way, this is Danny. Hey, howdy, howdy. I forgot to introduce you, buddy. No worries. You're you're taking it away. It's like a story time right now. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know... Where they actually filmed this, Danny? I have no no clue. You say Maine. It looks like Maine. <laughs> Where did they film this? Is actually in Ohio. Ohio. Believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. But the the prison they used the sets. Total random actual prison in Ohio. Actual penitentiary. Oh, yes. Wow. Crazy. They also used it in some of the Escape Plan movies with Sylvester Stallone. Hmm. You know, maybe I gotta go. You go back and check and see if you recognize the set, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, when was the first time you watched it? Because uh, my first time was this year. Well, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, like gauging that this is the first episode of your podcast, I'm surprised that you, you, this is the first time you've seen this movie. But it's definitely like a really great movie that transcends time. You know, and it, you know, it sh- it presents a great story. Um, I think the first time I personally saw this movie is on like one of those random like USA reruns or like on like TV cable like oh, yeah. uh, but I I can't re- necessarily pinpoint uh, a time frame because I feel like I've watched that movie other than before like you know this podcast and then within recent years I feel like I watched that movie through random snippets of my life like I was four years old and I watched the first <laughs> hour and then I was like you know like twelve and I watched the last thirty minutes and pieced it together that way. So it was a lot of bits and pieces. Was this actually the first time you watched it from front to uh, the end? Yeah, this was uh, the first complete sitting through the movie and like actually fully getting contextualization of like the whole story and just seeing the life of uh, Mr. Dufresne yeah. behind the bars. That's fascinating. Yeah, it just... I have known about the movie for years. I remember going on IMDb. I started going on back in 2002. And in... Uh, that was when The Godfather was ranked the number one movie, and Shawshank hmm. was two. They've uh, they've switched places since then, and I I knew about it. I I I don't know. I guess like the fact that it took place in a prison mm-hmm. didn't really intrigue me all that much. It it looked like a dreary movie from the stills I saw. Yeah, it has that drama, you know, essence about it. But then everything's very gray and then grim. And it, it's just, you know, that sort of narrative doesn't seem very hopeful. Right. But in the back of my head, I was like, well, uh, it's the number 
top two movie that's on IMDb. I got to watch it eventually. And I guess that time never really came. I didn't really have like a friend group who was like, oh, man, we got to watch Shawshank today. I think it's because everyone had already seen it through reruns on TNT. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, I never got the chance. I mean, I, I'd be flipping through the channels and I'd see it there, but I always wanted to just watch it straight through and really focus on it. And it took a, a little while for sure. Now, the budget of the movie was $25 million, And at hmm. the box office, it grossed $58.3 million, So it wasn't a total bomb, but... It was, uh, when it went to VHS, that's when it started getting very popular. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were rushing out to the video stores. And then when TNT acquired uh, the rights to it, and uh, I believe it was 1997, they were just airing it all the time. I believe there was one year where it was uh, the, the most played movies throughout the year were Mrs. Doubtfire, Scarface, and The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, all great movies. All very great movies. Um, so Tom Hanks was considered for the role. Tom Cruise, Kevin Costner oh, as well. I, I feel out of those three, Tom Hanks would have been the the best candidate. But then, like you know, what would happen to Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because he made Forrest Gump the same year, and then he was just such a shoo-in for that role. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can actually kind of see Tom Hanks trying this movie, but I think Tim Robbins did an incredible job. I think Tim Robbins did the best job anyone could have done. Yeah. He, he was a fantastic character in that movie. He um, he really has a lot of range. Uh, a couple of my favorite movies of all time are movies he stars in, uh, one of them being Jacob's Ladder, the <laughs> other being The Player. Uh, out of those two, I recommend Jacob's Ladder for sure. What is it like a thriller? I haven't seen it before. Yeah, it's a psychological thriller. It's a about a, a Vietnam vet. He returns home to New York, and uh, he's uh, seeing all kinds of hallucinations. It's it's actually really freaky. Sounds sounds really neat yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking yeah, out. I'm definitely a horror thriller junkie, so that sounds great. You would love Thanks it. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, it's like one of the only movies that kind of actually freaks me out. Now, Morgan Freeman's in the movie. Um, and I like Morgan Freeman's acting. I believe everyone just associates him with being God, you know. Or, All right. Or that Bruce Altman. Our humble life narrator. Evan Almighty. Um, but, uh, I will say that, like, this is, like, the first time I watched a Morgan Freeman movie ever since that Me Too crap came out. Oh. So, I've, uh, I've kind of been like, oh, man, that's right, this happened. It definitely paints a sour picture of actors, like, that, that have been accused. But I guess it didn't completely ruin the movie, but I will say at the end... Like, I didn't feel as happy for him. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's that just, terrible? I mean, I guess in a way, you know, it's kind of cathartic to see this man in prison, right? You know, regardless of him playing red, right? 
but it's just like it, it does it's just hard sometimes to watch these past works because you you, you see it through the you know the rose colored glasses and your nostalgia and you're just like damn like this person that you know you could have looked up to before is not someone you can look up to now mm. and it just like it puts you in a in a weird spot whenever you're like, watching one of these movies but they're or like bill cosby like you know oh my god kids say the darndest things like does not like even though he, his victims weren't children it still doesn't seem uh, right yeah there's not gonna be any more reruns of that for sure oh no now um another actor who's in the movie james whitmore james whitmore Yep, he played Brooks, the old, ah, Brooks. the older guy. Brooks was here. Yes, Brooks was here. Now I know him from a movie called Them, which was back huh. in the 1950s, a movie about uh, giant killer ants in the Arizona desert. So yes, he has a, a history of being in some major films. Yeah, so it was cool seeing him. Uh, I think he a little film Easter egg, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think he passed away about nine years ago. He lived a long life. Rest in peace. There's a lot of um, allusions to Christianity throughout the movie. Oh, I I, I could totally see that. Um, Which one stood out to you the most? Uh, I I believe, you know, one of my favorite, uh, you know, after glossing over sort of like a trivia page on IMDb, I think one of the coolest things that was a huge revelation for me was seeing exactly what page uh, the rock hammer was gutted into the Bible. Mm-hmm. So uh, when the the warden of the the jail, you know, f- finds the Bible that Mr. Dufresne was reading allegedly, you know, the whole time, he finds the cutout on the Exodus passage, I believe, and it's about freeing the slaves from like oppression, and you know, there's seeking freedom as oppressed you know prisoners especially in the case you know where the guards are really not playing fair game if that's a spoiler i'm sorry but uh there has to be some reason for redemption right right so it's it was just that part was really powerful considering you know there's a whole interaction with the bible and the the warden was holding the bible and just telling him like you know this is good for you young man and Mm -hmm. it'll lead you to salvation quite it quite literally did yep (laughs) and uh, another one is probably um when he escapes prison we're giving away spoiler alerts, by the way. I mean, the movie's been out for 25 years. So. If uh, you haven't seen it, you are probably born yesterday. If you haven't seen it, you can get uh, the DVD for $2 down at uh, the shop on 45th Street, if you're in New York. Really cheap DVDs. Um, so the, um, the one I had in mind was um, when he's escaping through prison. Mm-hmm. People have said that it's almost like uh, Jesus' resurrection. So he's... It, you see, when he actually enters oh. into the tunnel... Yeah. He he goes through Rita Hayworth's womb. That's that's where he... Oh, oh okay. That's where he, he enters. It's kind of like a, a birth of Christ, you know. Yeah. What I'm so, like, this is quite, a, you know, a metaphorical reference to Christianity as opposed to like direct biblical. Okay, mm-hmm. totally. That's actually, you know, that's a really good point of view. Yeah, I mean, someone on the internet found it, but like, you know, still, 
pretty cool. It still adds that extra flavor to the movie, and that, that sort of like it highlights the the themes of hope, right? Mm-hmm. Also, when he's crawling out, he uh, he goes through like a pipe. You see all this liquid just come out, and then out he comes. It's like he was just born, and then he stands up and um, puts his hands in the air. That's probably the most iconic shot in the movie for me. Do you, do you have a different one that uh, you thought was more iconic? That shot was like very. It was very powerful, but I I, I have a strong preference for that. The op- one of the opening shots of the Shawshank prison, uh, the penitentiary. It, they, they, you know, before drone technology, I'd actually get a helicopter and a rig up in a helicopter to fly over these things. But it was it was quite literally uh, hilarious to see that. The grass is quite literally greener on the other side of the prison. Like, you look on the prison grounds, everything's gray and muddy mm-hmm. and kind of gravelly, muted colors. And then right outside the prison, we have green trees and, like, a beautiful architecture of the front facade, you know. And it, it was just, like, really, it really spoke uh, for the conditions inside the, the penitentiary center. Yeah, that was cool how they, um, how they did that. There's a lot of powerful scenes Oh yeah. Movie. Uh, no, scenes that will bring a lot of emotion out of you. What, which one did you find the most gut wrenching? Whatever. I I you know I think a lot of people, especially through the halfway point of the movie, or more so like midway, you have maybe a little more. You're you're by that point you're really attached to the character Brooks, and when he gets uh, approved for parole or probation, whatever you know, so he can leave the prison. He realizes he's not so accustomed to life outside the system. And, you know, it, it really sucks in cases like that because I believe he says, you know, I walked out when I was a kid and there was, wasn't so many cars and now they're everywhere. And it's just a totally different world than he was used to growing up in. And he couldn't handle it. And that was just really sad because in a drama like this, you want the people to win and want them to have a great life you know and release and it sort of paints a picture that it's not always uh black and white right yeah and especially in the 1940s him entering from the it was probably the late um 19th century into or was it the i don't know my centuries the late 1800s did they ever say how old the character was I want to say 70s, 80s, because he was a great man, you know. Yeah, James Whitmore was probably in his 70s when they filmed it, so maybe he was around there. So, like, yeah, he was definitely born 1800s, late 1800s. But even just between, like, the time he went to prison and to the 1940s, just imagine, like, all the technology. Just a boom, like, there's refrigerators and hair irons and all these random craps, you know? Yeah, he's working at a supermarket. They got, like, the cash registers even are probably new to him. Can't imagine. Or, like, imagine, like, seeing a calculator or something. I don't know if those were invented at the time. Like, something like something you don't even imagine that's like, really small because computers you know transistors and whatnot yeah so yeah it's just really sad that he's he he felt more at home in prison he goes out that boss at the grocery store wasn't treating him very nice or, or no it was the lady the lady she's like ah this guy's 
bag and my shit wrong. Yeah, it was just, it was not an optimal, you know, job for someone his age or in his condition, you yeah. know. Poor guy. And uh, it kind of speaks for, you know, like the real world kind of situation. Like you get arrested, right? You serve your time. Like what kind of uh, career aspects, prospects do you have? Very true. Yeah, I'd say mine is when um, the younger guy got shot, the guy who knew who uh, actually killed Andy's wife. Right. The the rockabilly looking dude, the greaser, greaser looking type. Yeah, when I saw him, I was like, who is this actor? And I looked him up, and it's like, I haven't seen him in much, but he's not like anyone too famous. But he did a nice job in the movie. Uh, That's when I just figured out how corrupt this prison was. I mean, I I knew it it had some stuff going on, but when they just Mm -hmm. flat-out shot him so they could keep Andy's... Doing their taxes and whatnot. Yeah, that was... Andy's such an asset to them. Exactly. That was honestly heartbreaking. Uh, You want to believe the the good and the the warden and the head guard, but then, you know, there's just so many moments of foreshadowing that kind of put you on edge, and then this moment hits you. Yeah, that's good that you bring that up, because I didn't... I was starting to see, like, some of the good inside the warden and even... um, the Clancy Brown character. Yeah, especially in the in the beginning, you know, when they're tarring the roof and he actually gets through to him, like, hey, you know, trade your assets to your wife, say it's a gift, you know, it's tax deductible or something, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's making a connection with with them. Now, what what are some nitpicks you have with the movie? Mm. Well, you know, personally, uh, me being uh, sort of like sound design music nerd. Uh, I, I thought some like a the sound design just seemed a little jarring, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some aspects I just it's just very, very, you know, in the Foley studio, just hitting things around. Just some sounds kind of don't line up. Oh, that's crazy that um that that's like your go-to when watching movies. Like you you pay the most attention to that yeah I, I don't know there's just something about the sound like i went to i went to school for for music and technology yeah. so it's just kind of i'm used to having headphones on being like hey that sounds wrong or that that voiceover from the actor because a lot of the times you know they'll, they'll go in there with boom microphones to record on the set with that and right they have to go back to the studio and re-record yeah. the dialogue and like some of those moments just didn't really work i don't know it just didn't seem believable yeah. for me I feel like in the context of watching this movie in the 90s, everything was kind of like that because of the, the picture quality and now and just the quality in general. Like, things were high quality, yes, but, like, I feel like because of HD and, like, crazy computer effects and stuff like that, you really have to be on point or else people will raise their fists and, and mob on the Internet like everyone does nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I noticed that as, um, like, I went to film school, so I'd do editing a lot, and I'd, like, pay close attention to, like, people's movements and, like, where they are, like, from scene to scene, and, like, I'll notice when it cuts to another angle in a lot of movies that, like, oh, that guy's hand wasn't on the table in the last shot, like, just noticing, like, stuff like that, it's it's kind of a gift and a curse, I'd say. Continuity errors. Yeah. This, if you have OCD, it's the worst thing ever, right? <laughs> Very true. 
Um, like that water bottle in Game of Thrones. Oh, my Or that gosh. coffee cup. How did they let that happen? Well, they can just CGI it out in the next few episodes, but it's still pretty funny. Um, now, you were talking about um, how you went to school for music. Uh, mm-hmm. It was James Newman, who um, was a composer. Right. Um, no, Thomas Newman. Oh, Thomas Newman. James is that like a philosopher or something? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, um, you were paying very close attention to um, the theme yeah. throughout the movie. What were some of, like, the, the different notes you noticed? Yeah, so the, the theme in the movie that you hear most prominently is, like, this is the stoic theme. Mm. And it sort of represents, you know, largely the themes in the movie, especially... In the introduction of the men getting driven on the bus to to live out their sentences, uh, the notes specifically are in this offset of a minor scale. You know, they have the major scale and the minor scale. Happy, sad, you know, that's the basics of like a lot of music education for some people. Uh, there's one note difference in this scale, the C Dorian scale. It sort of borrows a little more from a, a major tonality from the C root. So it kind of is described in a musicology sense as, you know, melancholic but optimistic, like slightly, you know, hopeful themes, again, in tangent, relating with themes in the movie. You know, and it's a, it's a great mood setter, essentially, because uh, once you get uh, the Clancy Brown, you know, the head guard character. Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs, he, exactly. It's the voice of Mr. Krabs, by the way. Yeah, for the SpongeBob fans, or the, for the 90s kids, right? Yeah, Pet Cemetery too, as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. Okay, anyway. <laughs> he You know, he walks on the screen, and then some of the elements of the music start getting much more dissonant. Like, we have a, a minor second scale degree, which is, you know, very, very, very much an element of tension, as well as a diminished fifth and, like, elements like that that are kind of uh, referring to other modes and other darker tones in musical scales. Yeah, there's a lot of different layers to what it sounds like. Um, uh, Thomas Newman is actually Randy Newman's brother. Yeah, give it up for Randy. Toy Story. Well, yeah, you know the, the Newmans actually come from like a a family legacy of, of film composers. Like they have uh, uncles, and parent their parents do it, and uh, you know they got a friend in me and whatnot. We will never not know a Newman soundtrack. <laughs> it's so true. It is so, so true. Um, I mean, I guess what I thought, one of my, like, kind of problems, and this is so nitpicky, but um, how the warden discovered that Andy um, escaped from his jail cell. Because mm-hmm. when they first went into the cell, they had no idea where he went. They thought he just disappeared. Yeah. But then... For some reason, the warden starts blaming, like, everyone he sees and starts pointing at everyone. He's like, this is your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's even your fault. And he points at Rita Hayworth on the wall. Like, okay. (laughs) And then that's, like, when he realizes, oh, this poster is blowing in the wind. Mm. I should look behind it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I totally understand. Like, why didn't they just show the poster blowing in the wind? Like, why did he and, have to accuse Reed Hayworth? Yeah, it was it, kind of... That's kind of silly, yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe that was in this, uh, the book. Who knows? I, I haven't read the books. Oh, no. Well, I feel like it's in a little collection of novellas, so you kind of have to read your way through it, right? Yeah, I have it right here. So it's in uh, Stephen King's novella, uh, Different Seasons. It's a, a story for each season. Shawshank Redemption is, let's see what number, is actually the first story. The second one is Apt Pupil, which mm. became a movie with Brad Renfro, I believe. Never saw it. Uh, third one is The Body, which was made into a very famous movie, Stand By Me, one of uh, my favorites. Good job on the name change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they definitely need to change that one. The body sounds like it's a random horror film. Yeah, the body could be anything. Could be a pawn fleck. Um, <coughs> then the breathing method is the last one. I have no freaking clue what that one's about. Um, so the movie's actually dedicated to Alan Green. And who might that be? So he was Frank Darabont's agent. Um, he passed away from AIDS shortly before they completed the movie. He was very big in uh, getting Frank his uh, first um, studio film director job. Um, so it's nice they dedicated the movie to him. Um, Frank Darabont, um, I don't know if you knew this, but he actually he created The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. That name does seem kind of familiar. Yeah. You know, yeah, quite a few seasons on AMC and a spinoff show. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The merchandise involved with that. But, um, I mean, The Walking Dead, they were comics before that. But, yeah. Um, Darabon was a big part of getting the show created. And the production. You know, show on the right. And they fired him the oh. second season. Oh, no wonder this show took a turn for the... Yeah. <laughs> no no offense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after after four seasons of such... I believe, you know, a fourth season is where I kind of jumped off. I'm like, okay, this is going on too long. Now, favorite quote? Favorite quote? <clears throat> mine, mine is when um, Red first sees Andy... And he's describing him, and he says, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I saw him. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe a stiff breeze would blow him over. Because <laughs> it's it, all lanky, dude. And huh? then it just cuts to show, like, how tall and lanky he is compared to, like, all the other new prisoners. Yeah, Tim Robbins is a, a, quite a few inches over six feet, right? Yes, very tall actor. He's a... Uh, I think he's close to 6'5", which is incredible. He could be a shooting guard in the NBA. Um, wow. I feel like that moment at the end of the movie with uh, the Red, when he finally gets granted his, uh, his parole, that was a very good little monologue kind of moment. Uh, it's like, you know, this is just stuff you make up so you could have jobs, rehabilitation. What does that even mean? Kind mm-hmm. of. I think the most important thing about the movie is, uh, you know, having hope and 
dark situations and uh, making sure you have that enduring friendship with someone throughout the process. Yeah, you can't really do these things alone, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, that's the worst situation you could be put in other than some fantasy horror movie. How about this? In 20 years, do you think this will still be the number one movie on IMDb? You know, I think it'll really hold up. A lot of movies that came from that decade in the early 2000s, I want to say, really did a great job of getting their message across. I feel like a lot of the stuff we're seeing now in our current decade is uh, just rebranding or repolishing old intellectual properties Mm -hmm. or just having the 80th sequel to something. So it just kind of gets a little... it, It just kind of seems like a lot of people are making things to make money and and get a paycheck rather than to fulfill a purpose and and make a piece of art. Yeah, it's messed up. I I actually agree. I think um, this will be still the number one movie. I mean, it's... If it isn't the other number one movie, I feel like something from the same time period will overtake it. Like how you said, it was uh, competing with The Godfather for a while, right? Godfather, yeah. But I, I just feel like with Shawshank, there's so... There's so many life lessons that are never going to become too dated. And even the movie itself, it, 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 when it was first released, uh, it took place in the past. So. It's very timeless, yeah. yeah. It, it, it just kind of paints a nice picture for you. And it just gives up, it gives up moments of hope, you know? Yeah. So, this is our uh, little podcast on the Shawshank Redemption. You know, not too shabby of a movie, if you ask me. Beautiful movie, beautiful movie. Yeah. Deservedly at number one. Is that even a word? <laughs> I'll make it a word. It's it's a word for this podcast, <laughs> most definitely. Um, so next week, we got The Godfather. It's a good one. All right, until next time. Thank you for tuning in.